Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where I decide what I think Gabriel should know about the 90s and early 2000s and the years that he missed while he was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world. Gabe is 1993. Toy manufacturers Mattel and Fisher Price announced a $1 billion merger. The Food wow. Network premiered on television, and the average price for a gallon of gas was $1.16. Extra relevant lately. I've heard some. So here's the thing though having lived in Vegas and having. Um, lived in California, there was always about a dollar difference when it came to gas prices to begin with. So if, yeah, yeah. So already that was a thing. Like if you lived in, if you lived in, in LA, if you lived in California, you were already paying more than most states were requiring. Right. I will say that Vegas though was exceptionally lower in rates when it came to gasoline from my experience living in Vegas. The lowest I remember seeing as a kid was 99 cents. That's the lowest I can I can remember. I definitely was not paying attention to any of that when my mother was filling up her gas tank. I'm not going to lie to you. All right. So what are you up to in 93? Remind us. All right. So I am all of five years old, living my best life. And I was going to say we've established that five years old is way better than two. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm. I want to say this is like right at the point where I'm. I'm in uh, Alta Loma, so I'm living, living large on uh, grandparents' uh, property, like a, almost an acre. Some citrus trees. Um, it's nice. It's, it's a. It's a good. It's a good place to play outside. I did a lot of that, so it fostered that sort of thing. There was also yard work, which was my least favorite. I learned a lot about uh, community responsibility, thanks to my grandparents. And, and you know, uh, yeah, some, hated it. So, uh, you know, as much as they did, but some credit to them, though, for, for looking at a five-year-old and going, you know what? You should learn responsibility right about now. Because I got to say, look, you uh, I know you as an adult, obviously. You have a pretty good work ethic, and it's got to come from somewhere between your parents and your grandparents. Just going to put it out there. Well, they were definitely part of that generation too, you know, responsibility and community, uh, both big things. So they were, they were a, uh, they were a couple of people who the entirety of the time I knew them went, uh, to church like every morning. So like got up at far too early to go to church on the weekday and then start your day right with breakfast. And then my grandpa did yard work until he was like well into his eighties. Like he would do the the tractor, he would do the riding tractor, which honestly the most fun job. I don't blame him. The few times I'd gotten to do it, it was absolutely the best part of yard work. But yeah, they didn't. They led by example. So real quick, two things you said there. First of all, good on your grandpa for working until that time and keeping things, you know, like the way they needed to look. You know, a clean yard, a clean house. Secondly, you said something, and I just want to clarify. They went to church every morning before breakfast. 
Oh yeah, because uh, you know, because Jesus Catholic, can't, can't wait. Well, you have to fast. There's fasting before communion. You can't just go to church. You have to if you're gonna. You have to at least an hour before you receive communion. You have to be not eating. And so, like, I mean, you know, it's like church is like eight or seven in the morning. <laughs> that is uh, crazy to for me to hear that. No, look, I'm I'm an intermittent faster now for my own personal reasons, not religious. Myself based. as well at times. So it's uh, it's interesting to hear that. Uh, your grandparents were doing it based on religion and what the expectation of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost uh, were had in had Set the bar. Yeah. Set the bar way up there. They did. They did. All right. Let's dive deep into movies. Now, again, these are movies we talked about in our movies episode. If you haven't heard that one, please go back and listen to that. The first movie we're going to talk about. What a jam-packed year. Jam-packed year indeed. First movie we're going to talk about. Gabe, does this sound familiar? Does that movie sound familiar? It doesn't from the from the music now. Well, Gabe, that is a movie called Groundhog Day that came out in 1993, directed by Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, you might know as the actor from Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Stripes. Um, he was Egon Spengler in those movies. Um, he also co-wrote other films. But as a, as a director, he directed Caddyshack, National Lampoon's Vacation, Groundhog Day, Analyze This, and Analyze That. Uh, now, Groundhog Day was considered a box office success on its release, earning over $105 million, becoming one of uh, the highest grossing films of 1993, based on a $14 million budget. So the question is, have you seen Groundhog return. Day? I have much later than ninety three. I imagine, um, but I have seen it. What are your thoughts on Groundhog Day? I, I mean, it, it fits. It fits. I feel like a similar pattern of uh, Bill Murray type films, especially in that era. But uh, I, I mean, it's amusing. I got a kick out of it. Yeah, great movie. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I think at the time it was one of the first few movies where I saw outside of outside of like. Um, uh, Back to the Future, messing with uh, timelines and stuff like that. And I think, as we talked yeah. about in the 93 movie, so the idea is that a man uh, starts to repeat the same day over and over, Groundhog Day. And through those many, many repetitions, he learns about himself, learns about the world, learns about so many things, learns how to play the piano, learns how to ice sculpt with a, with a, with a chainsaw. Uh, and eventually learns enough where the universe decides that he has learned enough and he has learned his lesson about being ungrateful for whatever reason, and he is put back into his timeline. Now, the geeks online have done the math, and he spent 9 to 10 years in that loop, which, of course, if you've seen the movie, you know that towards the end he is committing suicide just about every single day that he can in different and creative ways. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic movie, as Gabe said. It's a very funny movie. Bill Murray is on point. It, I mean, it's one of his best, I think. But yes, 
uh, Groundhog Day came out in 1993. The next movie we're going to talk about is the movie called True Romance. True Romance, written by Quentin Tarantino. He basically was able to sell this movie based on the success of um, Reservoir Dogs, the independent film that he wrote and directed. Based on that, he was able to get this script sold, was not able to direct it. Directed by Tony Scott. Now, Tony Scott, you may know for directing films such as Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, The Last Boy Scout, Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, Man on Fire, which is a instant classic, Deja Vu, and Unstoppable. Tony Scott is the younger brother of the film director Ridley Scott, or Sir Ridley Scott, as he has been knighted by the uh, Queen. It features a ridiculous uh, ensemble in the cast, right? Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper again. Uh, you know, he did uh, Mario Brothers and he did, uh, you know, True Romance. Val Kilmer has a scene. Gary Oldman has a scene. Brad Pitt has a scene. Christopher Walken has a scene. Walken, no. Christopher Walken has a scene. But it's basically uh, uh, Christian Slater and, and, and Patricia Arquette. Uh, play uh, newlyweds who go on the run uh, from the mafia after they stole a shipment of drugs from them. That's basically the plot of the movie and everything that happens in between. The initial box office uh, numbers deemed this movie a failure as it was a $12 million budget and it made $12 million total. But the positive is the reception and the cult following uh, is considered as one of like Tony Scott's best film and uh, one of the best films of the 1990s. Uh, have you seen this movie or heard of this movie, Gabe? I've definitely heard the title. I have never seen this one. Oh, it's a, it's a great film. Great film. I want to say that there's a scene where the main character, Christian Slater... Um, has a vision of Elvis, and I think Elvis is played by Kurt Russell, I want to say, or or Harry Connick Jr. I don't remember, but there's a scene like that. But anyway, it's a it's a it's a fun film. It's a really great film, fun film to watch. Definitely, highly recommend it. No, that's entertaining sounding. Like I can't believe uh, it's. I mean, at this point, it's kind of feels like par for the course when you say Tarantino it's going to be an ensemble but I guess obviously it wouldn't have been the case he couldn't even direct a movie exactly couldn't even direct a movie now uh, this next movie you know I already know you know based on the conversation we had about 1993 movies but this clip is one of my favorite clips from this movie so please enjoy you must be Doc Holliday <coughs> that's the rumor you retired too not me. I'm in my prime. Yeah, you look it. You must be Ringo. Look, darling. Johnny Ringo. The deadliest pistol ever since Wild Bill, they say. What do you think, darling? Should I hate him? You don't even know him. No, that's true, but... I don't know. There's just something about him. Something around the house. I don't know. 
reminds me of me. No, I'm sure of it. I hate him. <laughs> oh, I love that that film when Doc Holliday meets Johnny Ringo. Ah, oh, such a great scene. So yes, uh, as we talked about, um, Tombstone, directed by George Cosmatos, written by Kevin Jarry, starring Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, Michael Bayan, and Dana Delaney. $25 million budget, made $52 million at the time. So technically a success, but the cult following that... Iconic, yeah, it is iconic. It, it it really is. It's just I don't think I've ever met anyone who's seen it who didn't who didn't love it. I will say this. I will agree with you with that because everyone definitely either shares the their love for the film or just truly appreciates the quality of film that this was. Uh, we talked about it in the last episode. It's it, like cinematography, uh, costume, acting chest above par I, I mean it's it's a if, and i mean let's not even get into mustaches my god the mustache Just budget tour de force the of mustache, mustaches the mustache budget for this film must have been the, that extra five million that it required just for sam elliott and alone i think but um you yeah, know it's a phenomenal film if you haven't seen it you need to if you haven't seen it you have to if you haven't seen it, you're you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. And I, I honestly look, I don't I don't love to lose followers, but you should stop following us because this <laughs> film is is near perfect. God damn it! Just gonna put that out. Truly, there. truly indeed. Any last words on uh, on Tombstone Gay before we move on? I just, I mean, everybody, everybody like does it, there's not a bad performance in that but Val Kilmer is if like from what we can tell it very much was like that but if that wasn't how Doc Holliday was it's how he should have been just peak peak Val Kilmer oh peak indeed man all right some of the popular shows of 1993 as we mentioned before 60 minutes home improvement Seinfeld Roseanne and Grace Under Fire now Gabe if I played this for you, would you be able to tell me what TV show this was attached to? What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Oh, baby, how Does that theme or that song click the theme of this TV show? No, not even a little. All right. So the song is actually with a little help from my friends. Uh, this is the performance of Joe Cocker, originally written and performed by uh, the Beatles, Ringo Starr. But this was the show called The Wonder Years, an American sitcom about a coming of age comedy, I would say, slash drama. It ran from 88 to 93. And yeah, it starred uh, Fred Savage, uh, a bunch of different people. But it, it, it circled around a teenager growing up in a um, suburban middle class family in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was a show that I watched consistently and it was fantastic. 
And what the show did was he is narrating his life in the show as an adult. So when you get to the final episode, he catches you up on what happened. And, you know, it's one of, again, like now it's very common, but I think this is one of the first shows where I heard a narrator pushing you through these teenage years. Uh, yeah. It's a cool narrative, a cool narrative tool. Yeah, no, no. It was a fantastic show. I, I, and again, it was comedy, but honestly, I remember more drama than comedy because it was about a family going through real things, you know? Uh, yeah, fantastic show. Fantastic show. Ended in 93 after um, five years on the air with ABC, if I recall. Then we have a show called Quantum Leap. Does Quantum Leap at all ring any, ring any bells? It does sound familiar. Okay, so Quantum Leap was a very cool premise. It had Scott Bakula and it had Dean Stockwell as his AI. So what happened was, it's okay. So how do we explain this show? So it was it was humor, it was comedy, it was romance, it was social commentary, science fiction throughout the whole thing because it's not necessarily time travel, but in the future they had created a way to time travel where you would travel back in time but not as yourself you would embody someone else in that time era right that was the quantum leap project so this person would go back in time and he would embody these people and then you know try to right or wrong kind of in that era of whatever time it was so the main character, Scott Bakula, whenever he looked at himself in the mirror, he would see who he was he was embodying. But the rest of the time, you saw Scott Bakula the entire time. And then his buddy, uh, Steen, uh, Dean Stockwell, whose character's name was Al, he would be his AI who would come in and tell him, hey, you're in the year so-and-so, you're so-and-so, and this is what's happening in this person's life. You have to help them. He was like a hologram, basically. And he would help explain what he needed to correct before he could quantum leap again into another one and eventually leap back into his own time. So it was, it was, a, it was a mixture of things, but it was a fantastic show. I, used, I remember loving watching that show. Does any of this ring a bell? I've definitely heard of it. I've never seen any of it. Uh, cool premise, though. And like, you know, I think as a I think it's probably fun as an actor and whoever's writing it to like be able to have that window into just different things. Like that's a fun, that's a fun concept probably ahead of its time, honestly, because you feel like they things that are not exactly, but similar time travel and seeing stuff would, would be much more popular later. Yeah, no, no. And I, I, you know, I'm surprised that hasn't been a remake to be honest with you. I really am. It sounds like something you could sell now. It does, right? It does. Catchy title. Good premise. Now you've got all kinds of CGI and stuff to to really bring to life those eras, various eras. And now to some TV shows that started in 1993. Does this theme song sound familiar? Does that sound familiar, Gabe? I mean, the theme song doesn't, but the laughter does. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, 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 
Did you watch that show at all later on? Obviously, you weren't watching in 93, but did you ever no. ever catch up on it? I never did. Like, I, I mean, I think the most note I ever took was to see the Metallica t-shirt on whichever one wore, like, at various points. Like, might have had a Metallica t-shirt. And then, so, like, you know, that's the most notice I, I took. That and, and some memes. Never watched it. I remember watching. because So, this was a, so, for those of you listening, it's Beavis and Butthead, the TV show. Created by Mike Judge and featured on MTV when it had its when MTV so when MTV came out it was all about music videos and they slowly slowly started incorporating TV shows and then it became all TV shows but even during Beers and Butthead you would have scenes where a few uh, a video music would play and you would have like a uh mystery science theater thing where Beavis and Buddy would comment on the music video. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um but yeah, it was these two, you know, like uh metalheads going to school and their neighbor and who they knew. Uh and just the dumbest st- stupidest um scenarios would happen. Honestly, that that's the best way I can describe Beavis and Butthead. Congress tried to shut them down because kids were emulating them and trying to like light cats on fire or, or something but very similar to what south park went through when they came out except this was you know a decade earlier um yeah no beavis and butter was a, a fantastic funny stupid tv show for exactly the right time and the right era for people that's that's what i'll say about beavis and butthead okay do you remember or do oh, i mean i'm sure you know the name bill nye right grew up a, a lot of that yeah, that so, was definitely on PBS. Yeah, so Bill Nye, the science guy, was a half-hour live-action science education TV show, you could say, right? Edutainment. Edutainment. Ahead of that time, probably. Exactly. Starring Bill Nye, who happens to be a full-on scientist. Um, so this was on for six years, I want to say, where he basically played himself, and he did uh, he conducted science experiments on television teaching children and young adults about science and how science works. It was a fundamentally wholesome, great TV show. It really was. I mean, there's nothing really to say, right? I, I, I mean, I, I remember highlights from that are uh, there. There was amusing songs and things you would do. They, they did a, an episode where they spoofed uh, Star Trek, and another well spoofed, but like went into like you know some of the skits were Star Trek related. I suppose I should say, and they explored whatever they explored. Some scientific principle that related there was a star wars one which of course i was thrilled but yeah lots of uh i still remember a song about uh about uh light and refraction from bill nye all those years ago wow yeah no i i remember it being you know quirky right because of the personality they had very humorous and it definitely maintained that pace of a of a teenager like you know like the 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 segments weren't so long the your attention pattern was kept but doing the research, uh, it was nominated for 23 Emmy Awards, and it won 19 through its six years that it was not uh, that it was on. It's incredible, and to this day, I think like Bill Nye is regarded as, I mean, highly regarded as you know a voice, uh, but also uh, an educator that you know universities. I think he's doing keynote speaking and stuff like that. So no, it's fantastic. So yeah, that that keynote speaking debates. Yeah, he's a busy guy. He is. So yeah, that that uh, uh premiered in uh, 1993. The other show that premiered in 1993 
the new adventures of Superman. Does that ring a bell at all? I, I definitely have heard of it. What What do you recall, if anything? I I I can't say I recall anything. Um, that would have been more public television, and I did not get to. I did not get to partake very much. So. This so I was I was a teenager when this came out, right? The the Adventures of Superman. It was the first time where I got to see like a, a sitcom, like a weekly episodic episodic uh, television show following the adventures of a superhero. So this was this was my Superman for a very long time, dude. It was um, Dean Cain who played Clark Kent slash Superman, and Terry Hatcher who plays uh, who played uh, Lois Lane. It was on from ninety three to ninety seven. It was like loosely following a modern origin of Superman, you know, like, you know, like Superman having a disguise and it it focused on the relationship be- between Lois and Clark. I think towards the end of the show, I think everybody just called it, you know, the adventures of Superman, or the adventures of Lois and Clark and Superman type of thing, because they that chemistry took up a lot of everybody's attention when it came to watching that show like will they won't they type of thing you know but yeah that was that was my super like my superman in the movies was christopher reeve but my superman on tv was dean kane dude to this day i dean kane like i never did smallville the new superman show currently is actually really good brandon rolf doing superman just even henry cavill i'm like yeah you know I always think of Christopher Reeve and I always think of Dean Cain when it comes to Superman because those were the TV shows that I was watching and movies I was watching during that time. Christopher Reeve was definitely the Superman from from my childhood that I like I at some point on TV saw the movies and that that's that was my the first Superman I can remember. Yeah, so um Dean Cain though, that was my Superman. He was he was fantastic. He he lived and he did not sully the part um persona of superman he 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 elevated it and we all expected more from every superman after that because of him i think fantastic fantastic moving on to people who died in 93 again we talked about this i hate to say it a lot of interesting people died in 93 we've already talked about quite a few and today we're going to talk about bill bixby does that name sound familiar to you at all it does, but I don't know why. I will tell you why, Gabe. He was the Incredible Hulk as Dr. David Banner during the TV show in the 70s slash 80s. Now, he actually was a actor who went through the gamut of like all the TV shows in the 60s and the 70s. He was that one guy that would be in one episode or two of like... Then he got the Incredible Hulk gig. And then after that, he actually started doing a lot of producing and directing he finished his career directing 30 episodes in the first and oh, i'm sorry in the second and third season of blossom uh, if you remember that show at all blossom heard of it okay i'm don't sure, even know what it's about i'm sure we'll get to it so i won't spoil it for anybody but yeah he died of uh complications from prostate cancer uh at the age of 59 years old literally finished filming an episode and a week later passed away from blossom's episode wow that was my Hulk until Mark Ruffalo for the long, like I never accepted. I never accepted, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Edward Norton. 
Uh, Eric Bana is a great actor. He was just not my because of Ang Lee's version of of, of Hulk. It just wasn't mine. Mark Ruffalo has been a fantastic Hulk, but Bill Bixby for the longest time that was my Bruce Banner. Because remember during that show when he transformed into the Hulk, there was no CGI. It was Lou Ferrigno who got painted green and became the Hulk. So for the longest time, that I was like, yeah, no. When I thought of the Hulk, I always thought of Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And up until now, Mark Ruffalo's role as the Hulk has been the only thing that's been my second to both of those two characters. But yeah, Bill, Bill Bixby passed away in 93. I've definitely seen some episodes of the OG TV show Hulk. There was a movie where Thor comes out in it, just for the record. I think I've seen images of that. <laughs> yeah, that's how good it was. Here's an interesting one of somebody who passed away in 93. Does the name Pablo Escobar ring a bell? It does. Sure does. <laughs> he escaped from prison and uh, ended up in a shootout with the cops and, and and died. Now, here's the funny thing about Pablo Escobar. I He has a lasting legacy in pop culture because there's been so many TV shows, documentaries, and, and telenovelas done about him. So... His lasting legacy really is setting the tone of how organized crime continues to do business now, technically, right? Like that aggressive, you know, um, I mean, torturous, just really, really terrible way of intimidating and... and cartel uh, yeah, is synonymous. Yeah, cartel synonymous. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, he wanted to be rich and he wanted to be powerful based on the drugs, but he also wanted to be liked by the people, which is strange because this caused them to actually be very uh, philanthropic when it comes when it came to a lot of the things in, in Colombia. He, he was like building arenas and sport complexes and bringing electricity to isolated areas. You know, like he still remembers animals. Yeah. Yeah. He still remembered like exotic it. animals. He's still remembered in the uh, Medellin neighborhoods for constructing houses for people who needed them. Like, he, it's, it's a very strange thing to say. Like, he was very proud of his country and he gave back a lot to his country. But at the same he time, did. he was also terrible. a terrible human being to everyone, especially anyone he considered an enemy. My experience, uh, long before the popularity of some of the TV shows and stuff, my mom, huge fan of audiobooks, ahead of the curve on that, back when you had to like either rent from the library, like cassette tape, or it was a, what was it? Uh, Recorded Books Incorporated, when you would like, you could you could get them mailed in. Okay. Anyway, I want to say, I, I I think it was Killing Pablo, the, the audiobook. I remember on some road trip, something at some point, listening to that, that audiobook, like the the story of, of what was going on and, and some of that. So, um, yeah, very interesting. So at the beginning of this podcast, I always say, you know, the formative years where Gabe was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world. How the hell did Pablo Escobar make it into there's some, that? <laughs> there's some very strange juxtaposition of, of things like, and again, this would have been like, I would have had to have been like into my teenage years at this point. 
like this might have been when we did our cross country road trip. It might have been a a little earlier. I can't remember exactly when we listened to it, but like some long car trip. Um, so it would have been much later than ninety three. But yeah, no, there were some things that that made it that made it through. Like there was a, an idea that early on it was like no violence wanted to try to shelters from violence like I, I told that story about how my parents were like no gun we're not they're not gonna have toy guns and do all that stuff and of course so i used a, a mickey mouse doll as a gun because yep. he was in like a t-pose and it made a gun and i was I, i'm a small boy i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna be playing war and star wars and whatever else but as time went on it was more keep it, it was this i think she was trying to balance it out and like bring some some like reality like realism from things you know like I, I was interested in the military from an early age it's not a huge surprise that's where i ended up and i think she wanted some reality of 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 the of the of violence and and the, the world that that would expose me to like uh so like certain things like were became more uh allowable as i got older which i mean it makes sense anyway but um i remember uh we did the uh, the book also uh, Jarhead. We did the audio for that. Now that one, because of all the swear, like it, it was very realistic. I would find out, but for a civilian, it was quite quite sweary and also a lot of more sexual stuff. And of course, the American values where violence more passable than than sex, uh, kind of you know kind of went out a bit there so that one ended up having to come off my mom just couldn't deal with the, the <laughs> constant the constant swearing punctuated by sexcapades oh, those marines but the violence was okay swearing we did a. I want to say we probably did the audiobook for black hawk down really like, yeah after like after the movie came out my mom loved the soundtrack for black hawk down too interesting that was like that was a repeat like that would come on if she was in control of the of the stereo in, in the car. And I'm going to guess she just was in control of the stereo in the car. Uh, I mean, like I so my influence, like I would be able to she would, you know, you, you'd get to play stuff. But like I was I was very uh, tactical in my approach. So if I was playing Metallica, it'd be like nothing else matters <laughs> or it would be, you know, you'd play things where it was like not quite. <laughs> All right. Um, she loved battery though like she was she like it similarly to some of the songs in in that black hawk down uh uh soundtrack you know the drums and like the rapid beat like she likes that like that that was so like you could you could get that wasn't it wasn't the the riffs or the or or the drums that were upsetting you just had to be careful of some of the audio vocal content you know and if you couldn't hear it well you kind of couldn't hear it sometimes that's okay all right all right so the next person we're going to talk about who passed away in 93. Now, this one, is, I would be surprised if you've heard of him. This was close to my heart because of um, the movies I watched growing up in the Latino culture. Now, his his name was Mario Moreno. His nickname was Cantinflas. Cantinflas was... What is it? He was considered the one of the most widely accomplished Mexican comedians um, and highly celebrated throughout the Latin America um, uh, culture, right, and the people. Uh, a pioneer in cinema and uh, for Mexico and, and really helped usher the golden era for Mexican cinema. He was... So his character was like an everyday kind of dude who wore... Um, 
tattered clothes like he would his thing in every movie was he was a talker he he would get you talking and then somehow would switch the conversation to the point where nobody understood what was going on that was his gift of gab like uh, you know he was a street talker now his movies have been translated in multiple languages i imagine but you can't get that that you know mexican street talk and translate that well Again, like his character, tattered clothes, you know, like unkempt look, you know, a little dirty, a little clean at the same time. You know, and he got himself into situations by conning rich people and conning, you know, like the house uh, servants and maids into the into the rich neighborhoods and stuff like that. He played that character for probably 20 or 30 movies. Uh, he was an actor, but that's a character that took off. That's a character that everybody in Mexico related to. And that's the character that moved on to like the Americas and stuff like that. Um, he died at 81 uh, from lung cancer. But to me, like I when I think of, of Mexican comedies, dude, Mexican icons, I think of him. He was exceptional. Now, he tried making the transition to American uh, films in the original uh, around the world in 80 days he was like the valet to the main character uh i i may have seen that cuz i bet i've seen the original exactly. around the world so in 80 that, days so that that's that's that was his claim to fame in the americas but in mexico and through the latin culture i mean up to spain he is like highly regarded as one of the most uh, accomplished uh, comedians so he passed away i remember when he passed I remember Mexico had like a live feed of uh, of the funeral, you know, like the the hearse driving him to the um, cemetery, and the streets were littered, and I mean overcrowded with people wanting to see the hearse drive by with his remains. It was, um, you know, he was he was a, a hero to a lot of Latino people because of of how you know what he did. To this day, I still think what did, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, you know, his acting. What is his nickname? What did it mean? Cantinflas was just a nickname. That's what it was. It's, now, just, a, it's just a... Yeah, it became a cultural, like, uh, it became part of a lexicon. You know, like, if you if you told somebody they were Cantinflaing or Cantinflas, it was because they were able to talk themselves out of a situation by changing he by, made it something. yeah yeah no but his gift of gab was talking so much the person would be confused and forget what the original conversation was about and then he would lead the conversation going forward it was phenomenal it was phenomenal it was an amazing character um so yeah he passed away in 93 uh great uh latino icon uh, the last person we'll talk about that passed away in 93 was Vincent Price, uh, an American actor best known for his performances in horror films throughout his career. Does that name sound familiar to you? Uh-uh. So Vincent Price, he appeared on stage, television. I mean, this guy comes from the radio age. Like That's when his career started. He was widely regarded as a voice actor. When movies and black and white stuff came out, he was the man that you would go to for horror films. He was, man, Vincent Price was the man when it came to, to those types of films. He is in over 100 films in his career. Now, you might know him from Edward Scissorhands as the inventor, the, the doctor that put Edward Scissorhands together. You might also know him from 
his voice work that he did, like in the thriller video, the uh, the speech or the poem that gets read at the end. That's Vincent Price. Okay. But, but yeah, he's known for the horror films in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, basically. Yeah, I bet I've I bet I've seen some stuff and just didn't know. Yeah, to know who he died at the age of eighty two from lung cancer in ninety three, and that those are our deaths for ninety three. Now, Gabe, we're gonna go into music that was popular in ninety three. Does this song sound familiar to you? That ring a bell at all? It doesn't. Really? I feel like yeah. I feel like this was everywhere on the radio in the early '90s. Now the video, that little intro that you hear is a saxophone, and in the video, it is a bikini-clad woman playing the saxophone on the beach. Spectacular! Spectacular! Now look, I am a fan of the saxophone in music. Now, obviously, in the last twenty years, I think it's died out. I think that this is a great example of it. I think Baker Street is the greatest example of saxophone in a, in a, in a song by Jerry Rafferty, if anybody's wondering. But yeah, no, this song was everywhere, dude. It blew up the radio stations for like a year, basically. Rump Shaker by, and let me make sure I get this correction, Wreck and Effect. So no, nothing, not on your radar whatsoever. No, no. I uh, I did not get much uh, radio uh, dude. We gotta add, we gotta add exposure this to the playlist then during uh, during that era. Well, tell me, did this song make it into your era radio? For you the other day, So tell me, does that ring a bell? Uh, not from the time, but uh, I, I do believe I've heard. You've heard Informer much, by, much the, later. by the rapper Snow? Much later. <laughs> uh, so... I was going to do research on this, but honestly, like, I looked at the video and I was like, this is just a straight up white guy singing like a Jamaican rapping. I'm Snow's not... a great name. What a great name, though. Ugh. I'm 99.9% .9 sure this is so racist in so many ways. <laughs> but like the tie in with the Jamaican bobsledding and his Ooh. name is Snow. Oh no! Come on! No, no. Okay, we talked about Cool Runnings. Please do not, do not try to do this to Cool Runnings. Please, please don't. <laughs> Maybe he's just a huge fan. No, no. Please don't. Please don't. Now, uh, we are we are over time, so we're gonna skip Tick and Toys, and we'll we'll double up on the next episode, and just close off the episode with a few uh, things about celebrity gossip. 
This oh man, this one was interesting to to put down. But two people were born in '93 that are incredibly popular now: Ariana Grande and Chance the Rapper. Both born in '93. I think I've seen them both perform. Incidentally, I, exactly. I'm like, we're doing this podcast for fun, but it just got real. Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp and their young, dark, and sexy love relationship. Now, the reason why I break this up is because, yes, in the early 90s, Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp were married. One of the coolest things that I can I can share about this relationship was Johnny Depp, in the 80s, already had a tattoo, right? Like, if you watch um, Nightmare on Elm Street 1, his first film, they, they will only um, film him from a certain side because he had a tattoo on his arm. And they didn't, you know, the 80s, just 1987 was not the time to show off a tattoo. So, 93, Johnny Depp is getting tattoos. Like, if you look at him now, he's covered in tattoos. They do a ridiculously good job covering up all his tattoos in every one of his films. But in 93 or 92 or 91, whenever they were married, he got a tattoo on his arm. Wynonna Forever had that on a, yeah, on a uh, scroll. When they broke up, this motherfucker went and got it covered up with Wino Forever. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha that, same energy different direction oh my god that to me is the coolest fucking thing you could have done with a situation that bad oh. that's that's uh that's taking taking lemons and making some lemonade dude he made so much lemonade with that uh and the last person we'll talk about is do you know the do you know the baseball player daryl strawberry yes yeah yeah a lot of cocaine. So in 1993, not only did he get married on December, but in October, he also got divorced. So in October, he divorced his current wife of eight years and in December married his new wife. In comfortable, A comfortable one-month buffer there. I mean... How no, very no, considerate. No, October to December, I mean, that's at least two months. I mean, I would say if he's at the end of one and beginning of the other, is at least a month in there. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, I guess so. If, if, like if, if you it, got married early, I don't know which day it's, you know, but a comfortable, comfortable one month at least buffer. Yeah. And by the way, this is him in his early 30s. So God knows what happened afterwards. Because if by early 30s he's getting married twice in one year, oof, I mean, rough times for Daryl Strawberry. But yeah, again, just trying to stay within time. Uh, on these episodes because we do love to talk, Gabe. I've noticed. The, the gift of gab. Gift of gab, indeed. We are our very own cantinflas, you could say. The final thoughts on 93 episode 2. This turned out to be quite a year. Like, they've they've, they've all been good, but this one just seems like it has so much content. Like, so many things that are, like, worth mention. I'm telling you, that, that somehow we ended up... I, maybe at the end of this podcast, when we... After we've done every year, before... We progress into, we break out of our cocoon into whatever this podcast will turn into eventually. We can look back and and agree that 93 was a hell of a year for everything. My God. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen. We appreciate all of you. We are over 200 episodes listened to so far. I know. I know. Uh, you Time know, sure flies. It does. Wow. It does. So thank you all of you. 
and uh, we'll see you next week.